Information on this edition of Love from the Hip provided by Sakura or her guests does not constitute medical or legal advice. Any suggestions made are opinions only. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and consult with their medical providers before making any lifestyle changes. Good afternoon and welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. This show is created with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it begins with love, love from the hip. Eating psychology or food psychology, how eating affects how we feel, has not only strongly affected our relationship with our food or our food positivity, but also our relationship with our bodies or our body positivity. Many research experiments have been conducted which have brought out some rather interesting discoveries into how our mind views and relates to food. The foods we may choose or refuse tend to be influenced by factors such as the time of the day, the people around us, as well as the atmosphere we are in. We tend to eat more when in a social setting or on vacation. We also tend to eat more when we are distracted while eating, like while watching TV, because our minds are not focused on the satiation of the food, which also means we are not eating with intention. When we diet regularly or suppress food thoughts often, we become more vulnerable to giving into food cravings and even binge eating. We are also susceptible to emotional eating or eating based on our mood and not necessarily because of hunger itself. And negative emotions make us reach for foods we associate with being bad for us. We can examine food psychology even further by explaining it through a plate of salad, steak, and pasta. Now, an athlete will view this meal as protein and focus on the meat, whereas a vegetarian might be appalled by the meat altogether and barely touch anything on the plate. The butcher may pride himself on the choice piece of meat, and a person interested in losing weight may just count the calories and the fat content. All of these people will view this meal individually and therefore the very same meal will metabolize differently for each person based on their distinctive food psychology. Hence, one can actually manipulate food and its effect on and in the body, which is just as valuable as the actual nutrients the food possesses. We can control the way in which a food is metabolized just through the thoughts or emotions we are experiencing while consuming the food. Our food psychology affects us physiologically. Take cheesecake, for example. If one would like to consume cheesecake, the image of it will first appear in the cerebral cortex of the brain. Then the information is passed along to the limbic system, which is responsible for regulating emotions and key physiological functions such as thirst, hunger, heart rate, and blood pressure. And within this limbic system is the hypothalamus, which integrates the activities of the mind with the biology of the body and plays a significant role in food psychology. So if this cheesecake is your favorite kind, like that of strawberry, then you will eat it with a full expression of joy. The hypothalamus will then modulate this positive input by sending activation signals via parasympathetic nerve fibers to the salivary glands, esophagus, stomach, intestines, pancreas, liver, and gallbladder. Digestion will be stimulated, and as a result, you will have a fuller metabolic breakdown of this cheesecake while burning calories more efficiently. Conversely, if you are feeling bad and guilty about eating this cheesecake, the hypothalamus will send this negative input down the sympathetic fibers into the autonomic nervous system, not allowing you to fully metabolize it and instead storing it as body fat. And aside from our central nervous system, our hormones are also affected. The pituitary will transmit information from the mind, sending hormonal signals to the adrenals, pancreas, parathyroid gland, kidneys, and thyroid gland. So back to the cheesecake. A negative food psychology with the cheesecake would inhibit normal thyroid hormone function, which translates to decreased metabolism and increased fat disposition while also triggering a stress hormone release leading to inefficient digestion, nutrient wasting, weight gain, and calcium loss. Of course, the negative feelings or thoughts don't even have to be about the food itself you are eating. It could just be toxic thoughts about your ex-partner while you are eating, and even while you are eating something healthy. 
This too will slow digestion and increase fat disposition because our brain cannot distinguish between real and imagined psychological stressors. So it is important to consider where your heart and mind are when you are eating, not to mention what you are saying in your mind in regards to food. We can further instigate the effects of our food with thoughts like, these fries will make me fat, this salt will raise my blood pressure, or drinking all this milk will give me kidney stones. Of course, parts of these statements can be made true if done out of moderation, but we can easily enhance the results with the power of our expectations. So maybe it's best to view food with more of a neutral stance. It is neither good nor bad. This will keep us from moralizing about our food and subsequently keep us from shaming and punishing ourselves and our own bodies. As a result of this food neutrality, we can then have a more positive body outlook, metabolize food faster, digest food properly, be in a good mood, feel better, and ultimately have an amazing positive food psychology. Today on Love from the Hip, I am delighted to have nutritionist, herbalist, and hypnotherapist Emily Wittenhagen. Emily will share her wisdom on food, diets, herbal medicine, and more. Plus, if you would like personal nutritional advice, you can call in later on the show. So stick around after this quick break. Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way for just $65. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my YouTube channel and podcast, Love from the Hip, that's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Emily Wittenhagen on my show. Emily is a nutritionist, herbalist, and hypnotherapist. Hey, Emily, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Sakura. It's nice to be with you. <laughs> We're already on the same wavelength because that's my favorite Beach Boys song. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so how long have you been an herbalist and nutritionist? Yeah, so um, I first got into food and herbs by going back to farming, actually. So kind of from the ground up, you could say by growing the food and herbs themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2013, I went back to farming, which is something I'd done in my teens and early 20s and always really loved. And I really just craved getting back to the land and to this dirt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'd been in writing and editing for many years, which I will always carry with me. Um, and I, I have to say, I love words, but I really love the earth, maybe even more. Um, <laughs> so I ended up on a path that started actually at a beekeeping and permaculture farm in a little village called Strawberry Fields in Jamaica. Hmm. And this led me back to here, to Auburn, Washington, where I lived and worked on a farm called the Red Barn Ranch. Um, for Seattle Till. Okay. Um, and so I can tell you lots about all of those experiences if you want to know, but just to keep it brief for the moment, um, this then led into the next summer, 2014, when I went to my home state of Massachusetts and studied at the Bella Bono School of Herbal Medicine. And I was really drawn to herbs and I wanted to see if it was something that I might want to pursue more. And the answer almost immediately was yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in a related way, I'd become very interested in food as medicine. Um, at Red Barn Ranch, the farm manager was always talking about gut diversity. We were always eating this great fresh food, fermenting things from the farm. And yeah. I started to think a lot about the microbiome and the gut-brain axis and how all of these things were connected. So the last piece was sort of this, this then fed into me eventually pursuing a master's in nutrition where I also concentrated in herbal medicine. Hmm. And, um, and all through grad school, I developed this, the herbal apothecary side of the business. 
And in the process of um, kind of both going to school and working full time, I discovered some really wonderful anxiety relief because it turns out doing all of those things at once was a lot. a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. um, so this like these things like I was doing a lot of spending a lot of time in nature, um, you know, forest bathing, doing some sound bathing. And I ended up incorporating those into my practice too, because I just personally found them so powerful. Mm. Um, so I kind of tend to pull a lot of thing, things into my orbit as they make sense, as they appeal to me, just as I did with hypnotherapy more recently. And so this is how I've sort of been able to take a holistic approach. Yeah. And, and sounds like they all find you. <laughs> yeah, it's so far because I don't really do a whole lot of marketing, but somehow these great people come my way and it's always just feels um, really serendipitous, which is great. That's great. So in your experience, is food psychology and body positivity a real thing? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I think mindset is really the most important thing in a lot of ways because, and I feel like you you probably shared this feeling where it's like your state of mind really informs not just the way you perceive and move through the world, but the way that you perceive yourself. And it can have really powerful impacts on your physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I definitely work with people quite a bit on their mindset around food and their bodies and just the relationship with their self in general, because mm -hmm. so much really starts there. Um, like the what you think you deserve, the way you talk to and about yourself. Um, and it's a big reason I brought in hypnotherapy because you know, as you know, it really can go way back, way, way back to early life. And it's the early experiences sometimes and the programming that comes out of those that can be very important to explore if you really want to get at the source of, say, shifting a long-held mindset about yourself or about the body or about, you know, even food itself, which a lot of people say like, oh, I'm an emotional eater, but I feel like we kind of all are. Mm -hmm. um, right. We're all capable of it. Right. So I'm all about just getting to the source of things, whether they're physical or mental or, mm -hmm. you know, even emotional or energetic. And um, I always just say my work is kind of like detective work. It's like about putting all of those elements of a person's story on the bulletin board and connecting them with, you know, string right. until we find the source. And so, um, so yeah. And, and just to speak on the body positivity question specifically it's like it's an interesting um topic because there's a lot of different mindsets actually um, or camps out there about this and i feel like it's really unique to each person the way they like to approach this so one that's been around a bit longer is the body positivity which is you know basically the celebration of the body as this beautiful thing which i definitely believe it is i mean it's amazing Mm -hmm. But the sort of new kid on the block that you kind of spoke to when you talked about food neutrality is body neutrality. Mm -hmm. So this concept that basically aims to dismantle the societal pressure, say, to measure your worth by your body. And so it totally takes the focus away from appearance. And in this way, it's kind of more based in kind of more based in social justice, really, because it's really trying to stop giving power to the beauty standards we've been subjected to, right. which I love, and instead, like, look beyond them. So kind of just aiming to be in your body without passing judgment, which is, you know, easier said than right. done. <laughs> it's kind of like both, it's like both like kind of anti-capitalist and also kind of very zen, because uh -huh. it's just trying to be, just to be. Right. Um, and it's a more comfortable approach for a lot of people who might feel that maybe body positivity isn't realistic or it's not helpful for them. Um, but it's sort of like there's these sort of progression of things that came about where there was like a big body acceptance movement in the late 60s. And that, that eventually led into this idea of body neutrality. But I feel that whether you want to celebrate your body, you know, with body positivity or just accept it with body acceptance or just remain neutral with body neutrality, it's totally your own business and there's just no wrong answer. Um, but personally, I really <laughs> like to practice what I call body curiosity, um, okay. which for me is just about bringing curiosity to the body and the wisdom that it holds and, and just trying to tune in and access that. And understanding it better. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so maybe I'll start the new movement, there Body Curiosity. <laughs> well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. But everyone, remember, this is a live show. And if you would like to ask Emily a question about herbs or nutrition, feel free to call one 298 kknw or 425-373-5527. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Peach fuzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. The veil is a line between physical and non-physical realities, between spirit and matter. Listen in to Go Beyond the Veil, an exciting new show every second Wednesday of each month from 2 to 3 p.m. In this engaging and informational jam-packed radio hour, hosts Sakura Sutter and Rory Reich interview folks who make a living crossing the veil, assisting others on their journeys of healing and self-discovery. Drawing from their own experiences, Sakura and Rory have come to realize how challenging it can be to understand it all. So they will ask the hard questions to not only reveal more truths and clarity, but in an effort to make spiritual sense. They hope by offering you, the listener, a resource where science meets spirituality that you too can finally put your skepticism to rest once and for all. So join them as they go Beyond the Veil. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Today, I have the pleasure of having Emily Wittenhagen on my show. Emily is a nutritionist, herbalist, and hypnotherapist. And if you have a question for Emily on nutrition or herbs, feel free to call 1-888-298-KKNW or 425-373-5527. So, Emily, when one gets sick or has an ailment, would you recommend looking at nutrition and diet? Yeah. um, I mean, it definitely depends what's going on. But I would say, you know, more often than not, looking at and bringing curiosity to what you're ingesting and how you might use food as medicine is usually very worthwhile. Um, Because, like, eating is, is something that we do every single day. It's unavoidable. And what's within those foods can really work you know, for or against us. So when I was, when I was doing my clinical hours for this wonderful local naturopath, Jenny Bennett, um, I noticed that she was almost always starting out with nutrition interventions and also herbs as well. So, you know, she's a full on doctor with all of these different tools, but even she was starting with nutrition. So that really said something to me about its importance. Yeah, for sure. And so if someone is dealing with an ailment or like fighting off a terminal illness like cancer, would you recommend a specific diet? And if so, what kind? Yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't personally work with cancer patients. That's definitely a a real specialty. Um, It's very nuanced, you know, but normally when you're um, treating cancer, yeah, you're working with someone in that facility who has that specialty. But in a general way, what comes to mind, I would say for cancer, I mean, I think of antioxidants to fight off free radicals, um, I think of the nutri- nutrient depletion that can come from some of the treatments, you know, chemo and radiation. So a lot of things like B vitamins and vitamin D can get depleted. So I definitely think about upping those in the diet. 
mm-hmm. um, or supplementing. And so I imagine those would be really helpful for like the zapped energy and that kind of thing. And since a lot of these can also suppress the immune system, my mind also goes there. So thinking about, you know, nutrients and herbs that are supportive of immune health, like, you know, zinc and herbs like elderberry and astragalus and even mushrooms are really great for immune, like reishi and lion's mane. So that's sort of where my head goes. But again, it's just, you know, that's sort of outside my realm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Okay. So can we talk about gluten? (laughs) Yeah. I'm gluten free. Yeah. (laughs) And I've been gluten free for many years. But why is it that more and more people are developing a gluten intolerance? And I was hoping that you can explain the difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy. Yes. Okay. So definitely, I mean, this is like the million dollar question right now, but um, gluten intolerance has definitely become more prevalent um, and it's good. You're, you know, differentiating it from the allergy, which a gluten allergy is called celiac disease and it's an autoimmune condition. And that's actually a very small percentage of people, but um, either way, both are on the rise. And so that's been this, you know, million dollar question. Why are suddenly so many people sensitive to gluten? And I mean, first off, it's not necessarily as sudden as as we might think. Um, It's just that we really only started recently understanding it. Mm. So it's probably about maybe 2012 or so. I think that it became more mainstream knowledge. Um, So maybe a lot of people who for years were suffering with like wheat belly, as we call it now, didn't really know it or didn't know the cause. But so there's like a lot of theories that are being explored. And for me, the ones that hold the most water are about how weed is actually being grown. I mean, I have this agricultural background, so I can't help but go there. But it's very compelling because in big ag, a lot of the focus is on high yield, of course, right? So in a nutshell, what's happened with modern wheat farming is that as the wheat has gotten bigger, Um, the nutrient content has gone down and then the gluten content has also gone up. And on top of that, the chemicals that are being grown in have gone up too. So just like very brief kind of like history on this, like history lesson, is is that this whole thing kind of began with the like so-called green revolution or it was like the third agricultural revolution. And so this is in the late 60s when they brought in all of this technology to increase yields and make things more hardy for shipping all over the world. And like, you know, they, with a lot of mysteries, they always say, you know, follow the money, follow the money trail. And so for this mystery, I think it's very applicable um, where like even there was a guy named um, Norman Borlaug. I had to look up his name. He was kind of this hero of the Green Revolution. He actually won the Nobel Prize for introducing this higher yielding wheat. But what we did, wouldn't know until later is that he'd actually inadvertently, he'd created a higher gluten wheat that humans had not really evolved to digest. People, huh. So that there's that and then there's the chemicals as well. And so a lot of those were introduced. And if you look at that, there's a lot of hot debates around this. And it's, it just makes me laugh because I think a lot of people think nutrition is kind of mundane, but really there's a lot of drama. Right. So, (laughs) So for example, just briefly, a lot of people point to glyphosate, which is a pesticide used on a lot of wheat crops. And there are several studies where, um, say like they did one on fish and they exposed them to glyphosate and those fish developed digestive problems that were very similar to celiac and gluten intolerance. Huh. So it's, it's like, it's being pointed at as a possible factor. And so there's not like a simple answer, but right. it's like these things compound together. And so, you know, but what one piece of good news is that what some people find is if they're careful about where they source their grains, like from smaller organic farms um, and sources, say like ancient grains, they might have a better time processing it. So yeah, there's a little bit of good news there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you wouldn't, you wouldn't recommend that everyone just avoid gluten? No, I mean, you, it's like everyone's very unique. So some people process it just fine. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's helpful to understand that it's not like, oh, why is this happening all of a sudden? It's because our agricultural system has tried to adapt to being a world system that where we can ship things all over and have high yields. Mm-hmm. And so then that's, you know, kind of 
backfired in terms of how it's affecting people's uh, guts, okay. Okay. <laughs> unfortunately. And so would you would you say also that these food allergies or sensitivities can keep nutrients from the foods we eat from getting absorbed properly? Yeah, I mean, I that's a good question. Um, and that can definitely happen. I mean, if you're, if your gut's kind of in, um, in a stressed point, right. That absorption can be affected for sure. And with the way that you mentioned even earlier, um, the mindset that we have when we're eating, for instance, can definitely have an effect. So, um, they've even done studies where comparing being in a very calm environment with no distractions and drinking this mineral rich drink and then being in a really distracting environment and you absorb way less of it of the good stuff if you're distracted right that's interesting right totally Uh so is there a benefit then for people to get a food allergy or sensitivity test yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like if you're feeling like you might have one of those going on, you haven't been able to get to the bottom of it, I definitely recommend it. Um, like food allergy tests are known to not be 100% accurate, but they can definitely help you narrow in on what might be going on. And the other half of this to me is that it's just important to also be listening and paying attention to your body because we know our bodies better than anyone else in any test. So if you're also paying attention, you'll be able, often be able to tell what things are setting you off, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so can you also develop a food allergy over time? Yeah. I mean, you, we can develop them over time and we can also get over them over time. Um, it really depends on the type of food allergy, like a peanut allergy, unfortunately, is not usually going to be going away. Um, but sometimes, like when you're talking more about intolerances, which often mimic allergies, this again looks goes to looking at the source. So say like you have a candida overgrowth in the gut, um, you're probably going to find that you're intolerant of things like say refined sugars and carbs because candida is a yeast. And like for anyone who's made bread or kombucha, you know, those feed the, feed the beast, feed the yeast and the guts. So you might be feeling a lot of bloating, Mm -hmm. but if you can get your candida in balance, you should be able to then reintroduce those things. But that is speaking more to like an intolerance, I guess, than an allergy. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for clarifying that. Well, with that, we're going to take another break, but stick around for this week's Weekly Skinny. And remember, you can call in and ask Emily for advice on nutrition or herbs. 1-888-298-KKNW or 425-373-5527. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to discuss a different mucous membrane than skin, the gums. Dentists are now pointing to another growing health concern called mask mouth. Now that dentists have reopened and are actively seeing patients, they are noticing issues related to wearing masks. The most common issue is sour or bad breath, also called halitosis. Dentists are also noticing an increase in tooth decay and receding gum lines, especially in people who may have never had this issue. The reason this is occurring is because most people tend to breathe through their mouths. And so therefore, the masks are causing mouth dryness. This dryness is drying out our saliva, which is what usually protects us from cavities as well as helps to keep our breath fresher. The increase in gum inflammation is also due to the rise in bacteria in our mouths as well. Mask conditions also allow yeast to thrive, and so more and more dentists are seeing patients with candida around their mouths. Trapped saliva in the corners of your mouth can become a perfect breeding ground for candida. Over-the-counter fungal creams are being recommended to treat these yeast breakouts, as well as it is recommended to avoid wearing a damp mask. While dentists are not recommending ditching the face mask, they are instead strongly recommending practicing proper oral hygiene, staying hydrated, chewing sugar-free gum, and of course regular cleanings, as well as rinsing with water after eating, and to avoid eating anything too fragrant or strong before having to wear the mask for long periods of time. They also recommend if your mask stinks, it may be time to clean it or toss it out. Respiratory particles from your breath will land on the mask when you breathe, and the bacteria in those particles can grow and cause odor and contribute to mask mouth. Several dentists also caution about mistaking halitosis for just bad breath. There may be underlying gum disease. 
Gum disease may release a sulfurous chemical, which is produced by the bacteria in your mouth that causes gum disease and has been known to smell like rotting eggs or cabbage. If you suspect that might be the case, it is encouraged to see your dentist as soon as possible so that they can treat you. Otherwise, there are many things you can do to minimize your risk of mask mouth. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my YouTube channel and podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. If you are just joining me, today I have the pleasure of having Emily Wittenhagen on my show. Emily is a nutritionist, herbalist, and hypnotherapist. And if you have a question for Emily on nutrition or herbs, feel free to call 1-888-298-KKNW or 425-373-5527. So Emily, let's talk about acid reflux because I feel like this is on the rise with what's going on in our country and all the increased stress. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> um, so um, this one is close to home as you know, as we talked about it before. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, my experience that I'll tell you a little bit about, but it, it runs in my family. It's kind of a Wittenhagen family ailment and so, it's something I personally experienced in a pretty major way right at the beginning of my grad program. Uh-huh. So I was really able to be my own guinea pig right away. <laughs> and it had been like you meant, like it, like you mentioned, it followed a period of really heightened emotional stress. And so I do think see that as sort of like the the catapult for it. Um, but I was actually having symptoms that I thought were environmental allergies because I was just having these really wet coughs that woke me up in the middle of the night and this kind of constant tickle in the throat. And my mom was visiting at the time and she could just see I was so miserable. And um, But she and my dad were both able to help me figure out what was going on because they'd both experienced reflux. Um, and they actually might be listening right now, so I should say Hey, mom and dad. <laughs> I love you. Um, so when I finally figured out with their help and confirmed by getting an endoscopy that that's what I was experiencing, it was a silent reflux, which affects the upper esophagus. Right. Um, I was able to find ways of treating it. And, you know, again, everyone's unique. What works for you um, may be different. But for me, there was a few things, um, you know, switching temporarily to an alkaline diet and reducing acid producing foods um, and just paying attention to you know what I was eating, writing it down, what was causing upsets, things like lentils. I would be like, oh yeah, this is not good for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then introducing some herbs like dandelion root and ginger were the main ones. And those helped me to stimulate um, hydrochloric acid in the stomach. And it's actually, it's thought to be a culprit in reflux is not enough of the HCL, which sounds counterintuitive but has some sound evidence and was very helpful for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also did, um, you know, I tried to reduce my, my stress as much as possible. So that was a big factor. And then I did introduce temporarily a PPI. So the most common one is being Prilosec and that was just for about two weeks. Okay. Um, so I was, I was at a pretty bad point at that, at that point. Um, so I was willing to try all of the things Um, Some people might be able to get away with, if they're having a more mild case, um, maybe get away with not trying the PPI just yet and seeing how how they feel. So how do you feel about these PPIs, though? I mean, I I feel like a lot of people are being prescribed these and for longer periods of time in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, so the thing is with PPIs, they really were just designed to be used temporarily. So say like two to four weeks. Um, But like you're saying, what happens with a lot of people is that they end up on these for very prolonged periods of time, which we now are seeing can have a really detrimental effect for some people by, say, by suppressing those acids too much, um, reducing some of that gut diversity. Um, And it's now thought to be behind a lot of digestive imbalances like SIBO that many people are now experiencing. So um, I would just say tread lightly, you know, and and some kind of just general doctors may not realize that this, you know, kind of allowing you to be on these long term could potentially lead to some IBS symptoms. Um, so definitely just keep an eye and, and work closely with someone that you trust um, on that. And um, 
Good for me. I was within a month. I was able to be in balance again and just slowly reintroduce um, some of the foods I'd cut. And I was ever since then. It's been four years now, and it's been fine. Oh, that's great. So that's you know success story where I know that if it does come back, I know what I'll what I'll do. You know, I'll I'll know what to bring in. So an elimination diet like that or an alkaline diet doesn't have to be forever. (laughs) Oh no, definitely not. (laughs) You know, um, more often than not, it's just temporary. And I do like to remind people that because they'll, you know, they'll come to me and be like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to, you know, eat like a, like a nun forever? And it's like, no, you know, the idea is just to get back into balance. And yeah, there may be things that in particular, your body maybe just has a hard time processing. And by getting to know what that is, you can, it might be that there are particular things that in the long term, you're like, that's just not worth yeah. You know, the discomfort. And how long does it take for that food or the antibodies to leave the body? Um, well, that's, I mean, it really depends. Um, I don't have a really strict answer for that one, actually. So, but when so, you're, you recommend that they eliminate something, how long do you usually recommend? Yeah. So probably about a month. A month. Okay. Is the, is the general rule of thumb. And so. And it's an eye on how you feel. Yeah. yeah. And how do you know if you're making too much acid or not enough? Yeah, that, I mean, it's hard to tell unless, say, you get an endoscopy, which is in kind of an invasive procedure, but um, you can also do trial and error. You know, if, if you say, um, if you do reduce your acid producing foods in your diet and find that you're feeling better, um, it may, that may be a sign that you're, you've got a little bit too much acid, but it's a complex thing because there's a different, there's a whole group of acids in the stomach Mm -hmm. and in the gut. And so, um, it's like, like I was talking about with hydrochloric acid, that's a more positive one that is helpful. And so as opposed to say peptic acid, a lot of people have a lot of that and need to get that back down into balance. And then, so it's really like, say you try those herbs like dandelion root, which is meant to help you up the HCL. If that starts to help you, then you know that maybe you just didn't have enough of the HCL. Okay. That and ginger you said, right? Yeah. And ginger. Yeah. It's a great one. Which is interesting because ginger is so spicy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It wouldn't be that. I know. So, and it's like, I went more with dandelion root because it's a little more gentle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you how you feel about dieting and diet together. <laughs> yeah. What's <Okay>. your view? <laughs> I mean, okay, definitely diets are a source of a lot of feelings for a lot of people. So I, I mean, I really like to differentiate between what people are now kind of referring to as diet culture, right? And say, just shifting to an eating style that's based in, you know, using food as me- medicine and nourishment unique to your own body's needs. Um, but the move, just speak to the movement against diet culture, it's just based on similar foundations as the body neutrality movement, actually, in that it's just an attempt to take back the power food has over so many people and how much shame and guilt and, you know, just power that it holds and that has been so perpetuated, you know. Right. Again, by capitalism, I, you, you can tell I'm not a big fan of it, but to make people feel you know, sort of badly about their bodies so they can then market these shame-based solutions. But that's what, that's what people are talking about when they're talking about, you know, diet culture. Okay. And obviously I'm not about that, but I'm very happy, you know, I'm happy to see it being dismantled in that way. But it's why I'm also careful to differentiate by saying something like eating style rather than diet, because that, you know, just avoiding the stigma people might attach to that word. Mm-hmm. But really bringing attention to your eating style can be really empowering, you know, so it's more about, you know, what imbalances or discomfort is my body feeling, what foods may be exacerbating that, what foods could be actually helpful and supportive. And a lot of that, again, is just about listening to the body and trusting what it's telling you. Okay. And so how do you use hypnotherapy in your practice to help with the relationship with food? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk so much about this as a fellow (laughs) hypnotherapist. Um, But as you know, I love I just love hypnotherapy. 
I am just blown away by it, um, as I'm sure you can it's understand. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't immediately think of it when you were asking about, you know, for food allergies, but I have used it um, a lot with exploring things like um, why might you have a complicated or like fraught history with food or with your body image? Um, like, what might be the real sources? Why might these be sources of stress for you? And what we so often see is going back to early life experiences, things that were told to you by the people in your life or by you know society as a whole. Um, these things you were told about how you should feel about your body or about food is um, can be very complex. And so hypnotherapy can be really powerful for helping kind of um, break down those ideas and reframe them Mm -hmm. um, in a way that actually is is helpful for you um, as an adult because you know little little kids we're just trying to we don't have as much of an understanding we're just trying to get through and yeah we're very yeah impressionable (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah, yeah, and sometimes I, I find, too, to add to that, um, doing hypnotherapy with food and weight loss is a lot of times also there's an aversion to a food, which mm-hmm. is actually revolves around some sort of trauma that the person experienced when they totally. were a child. So yeah. it's quite fascinating. <laughs> it really, really is. And that's, you know, a big reason that why I brought it into my practice is because I really wanted to be able to go deeper with some of the clients who mm-hmm. were experiencing that. And I just had this feeling that hypnotherapy was the way, and it was confirmed right away. <laughs> that's so that's wonderful. true. Awesome. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to take a break, but everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at asteracare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A care.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more, sakuraskinandmind.com, S-A-K-U. U-R-A, skinandmind.com. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y. R-E-I-C-H dot com. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Today, I have the pleasure of having Emily Wittenhagen on my show. Emily is a nutritionist, herbalist, and hypnotherapist. And Emily, we're going to go right to the phone lines. We've got Johnny on the line in Marysville. Johnny, are you there? Hi. Hi, Johnny. Uh, The older I get... I seem to be more sensitive to bread, and I don't know what aspect of the bread that's affecting me. I know that a lot of bread has barley in it. 
And I know that I don't get a good reaction from that. I'll either get like a rash or I'm itching. And I don't know what to, what to look for. All right, uh, When you buy bread now, what to... Yeah, I mean, so, so I mean... in kinds of bread on the market. <laughs> so many. It's true, there's so many when you just stare at that shelf. Um, well, thanks for your question, Johnny. And um, and if you didn't catch the part, we were talking about gluten a little bit earlier, and maybe you can... Um, yeah, I came in kind of late. Just... I got the tail end of Yeah. That. Yeah, so it might be, you know, it might be that you're having a gluten sensitivity and there's lots of reasons for that. You're not alone. Um, and so what you might want to look for is maybe start with sprouted grain bread. You might see this. It's actually much more common these days um, to notice like Dave's Killer Bread has sprouted grains and so does Fran's. Um, start there, see how that affects you. Um, and then if that still affects you, you might want to consider doing just like a gluten-free bread or just kind of reducing that in, you know, in your eating and see how you feel, but you're definitely not alone. And, uh, and there's many reasons why that could be causing you discomfort. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> okay, All right. You, you sound just like my next door neighbor, Johnny. Yeah, okay. So I almost thought you were him for a sec. <laughs> well, thanks, Johnny. Uh -huh. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. So, Emily, can we can we touch on herbal medicine? Yes, please. How would you explain what it is and does it work for everyone? Yeah. So, I mean, um, herbal medicine is just it comes from a very long line of traditional medicine. It's basically drawing on just years and years of wisdom from, you know, folk medicine practitioners all over the world, which is why it's such a fun and fascinating kind of lineage. Um, and it really is just meant to, you know, help treat imbalances, ailments of the body, um, support us, mind, body, spirit. Um, you know, some people see it as practicing plant magic and um, some people see it as purely science. And so um, I'm kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these amazing old texts called Materia Medica that have so much of this wisdom and um, it's really wonderful. So, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, nothing works for everyone, but herbal medicine does work for many, many people. Um, and yeah, so was there anything else you does were it, does wanting it take, to know? Does it take longer to work? Um, I mean, it just, it's kind of just like a lot of medications. It really varies on what herb you're talking about mm -hmm. and how long it might take to take effect. So say something like kava kava or valerian root, you're going to feel those effects almost right away. Like you're going to feel really sleepy. Maybe if you put a shot of bitters in your water, you might notice your digestive system goes into action almost right away because that begins right as that touches your mouth. Mm -hmm. But then say with herbs that are categorized as adaptogenic, for example, which many people find supportive for stress resilience, um, just like many mainstream medications, they can take a little bit of time to build up in the body and begin having noticeable effects. So, okay. um, that, does that answer that? Yeah. And so how yeah. would, how would you recommend someone shop for herbs? Can you give a few yeah, tips on that? For sure. So, um, here in Seattle, we're lucky to have some really wonderful apothecaries, um, the herbalist in Ravenna, Tenzing Momo down in the market and, uh, Rainbow Remedies in Capitol Hill. But if you're looking to purchase online or get some bulk herbs, my usual go-to um, that is also local out of Oregon is called Mountain Rose Herbs. But there's lots and lots um, out there. So I just like to encourage people to source locally if they can. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. can I ask you where you hope to grow from here? Yeah. I mean, um, to speak to something that's pertinent to today and how my business is growing. Um, just this morning, I announced that I'm opening up six spots for the autumn run of my six week care series. That's called the escape plan. And I'm very excited about it. And um, the escape plan is basically a six week road trip through your senses. And it's meant to bring your body and mind out of unwanted states and into a state of attunement. So creating an ideal foundation for healing built on awareness of the self, like we've talked a lot about. Yeah. So that's kind of the spiel on that. And it's really just escape in terms of giving yourself a chance to escape into yourself, begin tuning into your own broadcast, to use a radio themed metaphor. Yeah. 
and just hear what, you know, begin to hear and trust what your body and mind might be trying to tell you. Um, and there's two rules. It has to be fun and it can't be a pain. So this is why <laughs> it's great done. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, tw- it's like 20 minutes a day max. It's full of lots of surprises. You get a fun journal that's, that I made. You get a custom herbal formula and an aroma that I make for you. You get all these sweet playlists and practices and bedtime reading. Um, and it's all customized to the person. So for that reason, um, that's why I'm just limiting it to six to make sure I can devote the right amount of energy for that each person. <laughs> if you want to find out more, um, you can reserve your spot or just learn more at cobwebmd slash escape. Um, and one last little uh, kind of nugget about it is that the inspiration, I've, I love to talk about the inspiration yeah. because it's basically like, you know, that feeling you get on a road trip, got all the windows down, and you got open road ahead of you, and there's just freedom and possibilities. This is always the way that I want for people to feel in their bodies and in, you know, in their minds and their spirits. And so it's always been an inspiration for me and in how to approach, um, you know, working with people. And that's kind of why it popped into mind, the escape plan. Yeah. So, and I know. like that, accomplishing and achieving that freedom in your own body. Exactly. I think right. A lot of so us feel pris- yeah. like prisoners. So. Right. And yeah. so I really I, I know that and I hear that and talking with a lot of people and what I really wish for everyone is to have that freedom. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, can you touch on the three moon collective really quickly here? before? Yes. We close okay. The show? I'm glad we have just enough time <laughs> for this. So I have to talk about three moon collective. This is an incredible community of wellness seekers and providers from Seattle and beyond. And it is the brainchild of Hannah Exner, who brought me in last year as the Director of Community and Inclusion, which sounds like a really lofty title, but it's really just me helping support Hannah with this amazing community she's created. Um, and we basically offer people support on both sides, uh, helping providers grow their business, um, seekers find the right providers, and then sort of in the middle, just creating space for people to connect and collaborate which has been really especially helpful for a lot of us this year as we navigate 2020. Mm, during this time, yeah, especially. Yeah. So how can so, my listeners learn more about the Three Moon Collective? Three Moon Collective, you can find out more um, by following on Instagram, Three Moon Collective, or just threemooncollective.com. And and for my stuff, just uh, the same thing, uh, Instagram, CobwebMD, or cobwebmd.com. Um, and do the slash escape if you want to learn more about the escape plan. Because um, I'm just now going to take, uh, basically, people can reserve a spot starting today. All so. right. Well, you hear yeah. that? All right. Great. Well, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. It went by so fast. <laughs> and um, I loved the music. It was great. Thank you very much. And thank you to Eric, my stellar producer, and you, the listener. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Really love the show? Don't be shy. Drop me a line at sakuratlovefromthehip.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another Love from the Hip. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya.